Hello, ladies and gentlemen. This is your old pal, Gomer. Shalom. Shalom, shalom, my brother, shalom. Today we're going to talk about a little bit of Jewish history in our Catholic faith. I'm excited. Yeah, this is all, this this podcast is going to be all about Hanukkah. Hanukkah. And the Hanukkah. things that surround it historically. And I'm excited. who better to teach you about Hanukkah than two Catholic guys? <laughs> <laughs> than two Goyim. Oy vey. <laughs> How many people did we just offend with I that? Like 18, know. 19 people? I'm sorry. Yeah, I'm sorry. That's all right. Um, so the story that I left off with the last episode was I do prison ministry, Colby, uh, prison ministry follow-up. We do these things every other Monday. I go, I try to go every other Monday. And uh, I hadn't been in a while, and I walk in two, three weeks ago, and the Jewish group meets at the same time as the Catholic group, flagged me down there like, Gomer, we, that my nickname from them, my prison nickname, right? We all should have a prison nickname. I know. That makes you so much more credible than me. I know. I got to get back up there. I have two prison nicknames. One is The Hangover, because I look like Zach Galifianakis from the movie The Hangover, <laughs> which is hysterical. And the second one is Josephus. That's what the Jewish group gave me. And I told him, I go, you know, Ju- Josephus was a Jewish historian. He goes, I know. And I go, and he converted to Catholicism. And he was like, oh. <gasps> and I said, and maybe you will too. Uh-huh. <laughs> and then we laughed and we giggled. Um so I'm walking in. He says, will you come over here? And we're studying about Hanukkah, and we want to understand the historical background. And in one of my previous talks there, I had touched on, um, when I talked about the Samaritan woman at the well in John chapter 4, I talked about why does it say for Jews had nothing in common with Samaritans? Yeah. And why was that such a big deal? Why are you a Jew talking to me, a woman of Samaria? I know this from Bible timeline. Yeah. Go on. <laughs> right. And so <laughs> there's all this, like, contention going on between the Jews and the Samaritans in the story, uh, or in, in the Gospels. And so where does this come from historically and all this stuff? So they asked me if I would talk, and I said, you want me to talk about Hanukkah? And they're like, well, like the Maccabean revolt and all the stuff that kind of surrounds Hanukkah. And so I said, okay, yeah, I mean, I would, I would love to. So, so let's talk about that. Why would it make sense for a bunch of Jewish guys to ask a Catholic to teach them about the Maccabean revolt and not a Protestant? Great question, Stephen. Mm -hmm. It's almost like we sort of prepared. (laughs) <laughs> Almost, we didn't, we we didn't, didn't. <laughs> So essentially the Roman Catholic We are still the same person But why do I look like this then um, The oh. Catholic <laughs> You kind of look like a Jew with the beard Go on I do And actually an Orthodox Jewish man stopped me in the airport And he goes Hello my brother Oh my goodness And when I turned around he was like Oh you are not a Jew And I was like I'm not I'm not <laughs> But we can talk It was in the Toronto airport One of my favorite days Um so the reason why he would ask that of a Catholic and not a Protestant or even another Orthodox Jew is because the Hebrew Bible and the Protestant Bible, Martin Luther, removed certain books from the Old Testament, and these books are in the Catholic Bible. These are books that had uh, – his argument was it's not the Mesoretic text, meaning it's not the canon of Old Testament scriptures that have Hebrew originals um, that the Jews removed from their Bible supposedly in 90 A.D. And my response to a Protestant who says, why, does, why do Catholics have so many extra books in their Bible? I remind them, number one, it's just the Old Testament, not the New Testament. We have the same number of books. Martin Luther tried to get rid of three or four other books from the New Testament, but no one would let him. And number two – why would you accept a council of Jewish rabbis? Uh, actually, at that time, they weren't necessarily rabbis. They were Pharisees. Why would you accept the ruling of Pharisaical Judaism 
after. 90 years after the birth of Christ, you know, 60 yeah. years after the death and resurrection. So why, why would that be authoritative to us? Right. And so when we talk about the Bible that the Catholics have, we have the Septuagint Greek Bible, which is the Bible that Jesus and Paul quote from. And uh, the interesting thing is we have first and second Maccabees, but there's also a third and fourth Maccabees. That's not in our Bible. Why? Because that was written actually probably at the same time St. Paul was writing and Peter were writing theirs. And we just do not consider those um, to be canonical. But the Orthodox Church does. So once again, all the the narrative that... Catholics have extra books. It's I I get kind of offended by the question. I'll be honest. Extra the word. I, I extra. do. I do oh, yeah. be, because to me, it's like every time I hear that, it's almost like you know, it's like they're treating us like like the Mormons. It's yeah. like, oh, well, you have those extra seven books, just kind of like how the Book of Mormon. You know, the yeah. Mormons have the Book of Mormon. It's like, no, 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 no. Hold on. Let's go back to the historical. <laughs> they were reality. There. They were they there. Were removed. Y'all took them out. <laughs> so we say that by way of the fact that for years as a Catholic, I have been harassed and accused of adding to the Word of God, which yeah. the Book of Revelation. Yeah, I don't know a, 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 a pretty... serious Catholic that hasn't really. Yeah, and so um, so the reason why they came up to me is because we have these books that belong to what's known as the inter testamental period the intertestamental period because for jews and protestants the bible basically ends right after the temple is rebuilt ezra nehemiah and all that stuff so it ends with this period of three four hundred years of silence until the gospels right but as catholics first and second maccabees we know what happened (laughs) but wait (laughs) there's more (laughs) and so the whole idea of the book of wisdom maccabees one and two all these things were written in 100 years 150 years 50 years before the birth of christ and so that's why this stuff is so important for us to understand i actually gave a talk at our parish called why wisdom matters and uh it's i think it's an important talk and I literally wrote for, it's, it's called, it's dumb to reject the book of wisdom. Why is it dumb? Because St. Paul draws oh. on it so much yeah. in the book of Romans. He draws from the, oh, and it's a beautiful book. Anywho, I digress. Let's go back to the historical stuff. Does that sound fair? Yeah, yeah. So are we going to get back to like what, what you taught at the prison? To yes, the, yes. To the and Jewish I'm going to give you the Cliff Notes version because no one wants to hear a podcast for 45 minutes, but I could do this <laughs> for two hours straight. <laughs> so the main thing that people don't know, okay, so when we talk about the Jesse tree and the Davidic line, so think Jesse had his sons, David was chosen to be the next king after Saul, and it was David's line that is known as the Davidic house or the Davidic line or the house of David. And it's from that that the prophesied Messiah would be a son of David, someone mm-hmm. like Solomon, but as Jesus says, someone greater than Solomon is here, someone greater than the temple is here. So Jesus comes to fulfill that. Right. But the prophecies are very clear and the and the government is very clear. Only the tribe of Judah can be the line of kings and only from the bloodline of the house of David. Right. Okay. So after the Babylonian captivity in the 500s, the line of David is seemingly removed. So you have the Babylonians ruling over Israel. You then have um, the uh, Medo-Persian Empire ruling over Israel. And these are these are historical things that yeah. happen. This these is are not... the great powers that yeah. ruled over from Mesopotamia to yeah. northern Africa up into Europa. And so they have these succession of kingdoms. And then comes Alexander the Great. Alexander the Great and the Roman Empire are mentioned in the Catholic Bible. Why? 
because they conquered the Holy Land. They conquered what was called, the, the Romans called it Palestine, which is the Latin version of the word Philistine. Okay, so they went through and conquered that area. Alexander the Great conquered it, and when he died, Alexander was so, such a weird dude. He conquered faster than any other person in history. And then he despaired because there are no more lands left to conquer. Of course, he didn't know about China. But he, he just despaired. <laughs> there were no more places left to conquer. He didn't have an heir. And they said, who will rule after you? And his reply was the strongest. His generals divided up his kingdom. Interesting. Yeah. In, in today, think from Egypt up into Jerusalem or into Israel area and from Syria and Turkey down into Israel that was where in the north they were called the Seleucids, and in the south they were called the Ptolemies. These were Greek people who were warring over uh, basically the, the empire. And one of the most common areas where they would fight, unfortunately, was the Holy Land. Right. In fact, there's this famous... Sh- shocker. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The more things change. Uh, so there's this famous mountain in a, in a flat plain area called Megiddo, and it overlooks this valley where this famous road that connect the north to the south and the west to the east passed. And in Greek, you call it Armageddon, the battle of the I, hill I of Megiddo. I've seen it, yeah. Yeah, it is crazy, but so many historical wars were fought in this area. Well, eventually the Seleucids take power, and they have they continue what Alexander called, it's the Hellenization or the making everything Greek of the world. And so, which ended up becoming a blessing because you learned one language, the lingua franca of that time was Greek, Greek, and St. Paul could speak Greek. So he could go pretty much anywhere throughout the empire and, and have an the audience. Yeah. yeah. Well, what happened was, I mean, think about this. The Seleucid king, Antiochus IV, who called himself the Divine Manifestation or the Epiphany, so his name was Antiochus IV Epiphanes, marched into Jerusalem. He wanted to go and conquer the Ptolemies. There was a, um, a holdout power. I thought this line was so fascinating. He marches his army, takes attacks on Jerusalem, builds up his army, marches down to face the Egyptian Ptolemies. While he's doing that, the, one of the Ptolemies sneaks out to Rome, and Rome sends an, a, an old, old senator with him and, a, and one legion. And he's there. And this is a famous, you ever heard the phrase, drawing a line in the sand? Yeah. Okay, so the Seleucid comes in, uh, Antiochus comes with all of his military regalia on, and here's this old Roman senator, an elderly man with a stick and his toga, not ready for war, right? Mm -hmm. And he shows up, and he sees Antiochus, and Antiochus says, I will destroy Alexandria in order to get to the Ptolemies and conquer Egypt. And the um, the Roman senator drew a circle around the Seleucid dude, Antiochus. And he said, if you step outside that circle, you have declared war on the Roman Empire. So make your, design, make your mind up now. Either you go to war with Rome and it's total war, or you leave. And he's like, uh, and he's like I've drawn a line in the sand. If you cross it without making a decision, it is total war. So... He had to embarrass himself in front of his huge army and say, I'm not going to war with Rome. But as he left, he dumped all his rage on Jerusalem, the only big city as he marched north. He burned, uh, he entered, I mean, he, wholesale slaughter, vicious grossness. He entered the temple, killed any Levitical priest he could find, goes into the Holy of Holies with an army of pigs, sacrifices 
pigs and smears their blood all over the walls of the temple, all inside the holy place. Pigs are considered the most unclean yeah, of animals. Yeah, not, not kosher at all. And there, in the middle of the Holy of Holies, he builds a statue or erects a statue of Zeus. And then they sent out smaller statues of Zeus throughout all the corners of Israel and said, worship or die. And then he left, and he left his generals in charge. So one day it comes to a small town, and there's a Levite named Mattathias. And he watches as someone goes and burns incense. A Jewish man burns incense to the statue of Zeus, and he picks up a spear, and he stabs the guy. His Jewish co-religionist kills him, and then his sons kill the officials, and they flee into the wilderness, and they hide out, and more and more people start rallying to their cause. It becomes a full-scale revolution against the solution. It's Braveheart of the Bible. Yeah, why is there not a movie about this? There should be. And actually, Mel Gibson, there was rumors that he was going to do it. Oh, boy. I know. But but then some other things Sounds like right up his alley. (laughs) Yes, yes. So then it's this huge thing that and the the Maccabees keep winning. So they get the name Maccabee, which was named after Judas Maccabee, who was called the Hammer, a younger brother, a mm-hmm. brilliant strategist. Defeat after defeat, the Seleucids suffered over and over again until eventually they fight and retake Jerusalem, and then they enter into the temple. And in First Maccabees chapter four, verse thirty six and following, they just defeated a huge. Uh, group, a huge military battle, knocked out the cavalry, amazing thing. They enter into Mount Zion, into the sanctuary, and they do a cleansing, purification, and rededication of the temple. It was eight days, an eight-day celebration. They said, from this day, every time at this time of year, we will celebrate with joy for eight days. And that's the birth of Hanukkah. Now, after that, centuries later, in the Babylonian Talmud, there comes in, in Babylon, a bunch of a whole Jewish community remained behind after the um, captivity and a whole scholarship flourished there and in Palestine. And in the Babylonian Talmud, it talks about that actually what happened was they only had oil for one day. Yeah. But it lasted for eight days to burn the great menorah, the candelabra right. in the temple. Now, that's only recorded in the Talmud. That's not at all in First or Second Maccabees. You won't okay. find that. So it's a combination of both and. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So today when they celebrate it, they eat um, latka, which is a traditional Jewish meal made out of, it's like fried potatoes. Mm -hmm. And they um, spin the dreidel, right, Mm -hmm. which is a game that they play. And then they, um, but the the whole point is they exchange gifts for for the eight days. So as Adam Sandler said, instead of one day of presents, we have eight Eight crazy crazy nights. nights. (laughs) (laughs) And so that's the kind of the origin. It was always a minor holiday amongst, in the Jewish calendar of ritual holidays, right? Yom Kippur and all the other things far outweigh this right, minor thing. Atonement, yeah. But so whenever you read in the Gospels about the Feast of Dedication, that's what they're referencing, Hanukkah. And so it was a minor holiday, but when Christianity took over the world, right. it, you know, the poor little Jewish kids watching their friends come home with Christmas presents and all this stuff. So they started it as this is a gift-giving time of year, too. Yeah, yeah. So and, it just kind of is yeah. a part of the the larger Western holiday season for our Jewish brothers and sisters. So this is the crazy thing about the story that I love. And Mm -hmm. I'm going to tell it. I'm going to give myself no more than five minutes. I don't believe you. Go ahead. Neither do I. (laughs) So Judas Maccabeus, he gets the name The Hammer. Yeah. Right? And so he starts. Can that be my nickname? Can that be my prison nickname? The Hammer? All right, we'll I, we'll I, work that out at the next I'm not going to give you your prison nickname. <laughs> I'm right. not going to give it to you. So, uh, but yes, I think it should. Um, but they have okay. So Judas Maccabeus, brilliant warrior, he dies. His brother Simon takes over, inherits what we call the Hasmonean dynasty. 
Mm-hmm. So they then have self-rule. They overthrow the entire Seleucid thing. Simon goes to Sparta. He sends a delegation to Sparta, and they have a Roman uh, outpost there, and to Rome, and Rome guarantees them sovereignty. So they have this measure of rule. Now think about this. In bronze tablets, they nail it to the side of the temple, hang it from one of the, the pillars that says, and I love this. Can you imagine if this was in the U.S. Constitution? In perpetuity. The rulership over Israel will be, and I love this, through the house of Simon, right? Uh, the Hasmone- and this starts officially the, the Hasmonean dynasty. But then it says, unless a prophet should arise over Israel that tells us otherwise. Could you imagine if we were like, the president is elected for a term of four years, unless a prophet should arise and tell us otherwise, right? <laughs> so written into there, even this Roman treaty that they had. It, it had this clause for prophecy, if a prophet should arise. So what ended up happening is, you got to remember, the, the Maccabees, Mattathias, was not a Jew, technically. He was a Levite. He was a priest. Mm-hmm. He was a Levitical tribe, mm-hmm. uh, tribesman. And so that means him and his sons could not call themselves king. Only Judahites could call themselves king, right. and only if they were their house of David. So they called themselves the princes. And they ruled as princes. Well, here's the crazy thing. So Simon rules until his son-in-law murders him and his sons in a coup, an attempted coup. One guy gets away named John Hyrcanus. John Hyrcanus is one of uh, – him and his sons are legendary in Jewish history. The, he, brilliant conqueror, brilliant strate- uh, strategist defeats this the syrians come back down the seleucids come back down he defeats them he goes all the way north into modern day syria all the way up there conquers clears out all enemies from israel goes west goes east pushes it all the way to the coastlands goes all the way down south and there's a group of people that we know as edom or edomites if you read the book of genesis and stuff At that, at that time, the Roman name was Edomea, the Edomeans. He goes there, and this is the most unique thing in Jewish history. He goes down there because they're the closest perceived enemies to Israel, but they're eth- ethnically, they're very close. They're like Portuguese to Spanish kind of thing. Yeah. And he goes, you know what? I'm sick and tired of this. You're all Jews now. And he forces all the men to get circumcised. Historically testified to this. He forces them, and he's like, you're not allowed to call yourself Edomeans anymore. You're Jews now. And you worship Judaism. You're done with your false gods, all that stuff. Forcibly circumcises all the men, and now they're included. Now, this would come back to Hanan because now his sons, they rise up, they fight. Because they're Levites, they are simultaneously the high priest of the temple and the prince over the nation. So they're like a priest king, but they're not Davidic. So it seems like prophecy is being fulfilled now with the rise of the Hasmoneans. But then devastation, death, murder, intrigue. The next son imprisons his mom and starves her to death, murders his brothers over and over again. A woman named Salome. This is like worse than Game of Thrones. It is horrific. It is horrific. (laughs) Salome rules for like 20 years. A queen. She's she's allowed to use, I think she's allowed to use the title queen. Back and forth it goes until you get to John Hyrcanus II. He's a grandfather. His sons are terrible. They a civil war because one wanted to be they both wanted to be the ruler they started calling themselves kings now instead of princes and that's when it all went horrible one of the dads begged his sons do not call yourself king separate the high priesthood from the rulership 
separate the two and don't ever call yourself king. And he's like, uh, I'm going to be both. And guess what? I'm calling myself king. And now you had all of this fighting and all of this corruption. And you had a rise of a group called the Essenes who were like, I'm done with the Jerusalem temple. We're going to worship God in spirit and in truth out in the desert. Right? All of these factions started. Let's go along to get along with the Greeks. You have the rise of the Sadducees, the Pharisees. All right. All so, of this so how does it all? So, so this is all in the Catholic Bible. Uh, half of this is half in the Catholic it. Bible, Maccabees 1 and 2. Okay. So what <laughs> – you lost me. <laughs> so here's where it all – this is where the ending with a nice neat bow in the last 30 seconds of my thing. The last woman from the bloodline of the Hasmoneans, they've killed each other off. There's yeah. a daughter who is married off to an Edomaean, mm-hmm. to an Edomite, because they are now Jews. Right. And he, this guy was an opportunist. This guy played Rome so well that Rome called him the king of Israel. And he married the last Hasmonean woman, and his name was King Herod. So if John Hyrcanus had never forcibly made the Edomites Jews, he would never have even the remotest of claims. And then King Herod enters into the rulership over Israel. And then... Uh, there was a coup where these people appeal to an Eastern uh, group uh, called the Parthenians to enter the Roman Empire and depose him. He finds out, slaughters the entire de- yeah, the King, Senate. King Herod was not a uh, he was not a good man. In fact, man. in fact, uh, the Octavius Caesar said it is better to be his pigs than to be his sons. He killed three of his sons, and he yet he kept kosher. Yeah. So he didn't. So all this stuff happened. He builds up the temple. That's the temple that the only thing left is the Wailing Wall or Got the Western it. Wall. He builds a fortress next to the temple. He lavishes. He was known as the great architect. That's why he's called Herod the Great, even though he was an evil man. But then, I mean, think about this now. So they try to have this Eastern group, an Eastern army depose him. So imagine three magi from the East enter into the Roman Empire. Probably hundreds, if not thousands, of attendants and warriors entered with them, and they go straight to Herod. All of Jerusalem was in an uproar. They're freaking out. This is what happened, you know, 40 years earlier when they tried to overthrow him. But now they're like, where's the king of the Jews? And he's like, you're looking at him. And they're like, no. We looked up in the sky and a great light appeared telling us that there is a king of the Jews to be born. Where would he be? And then, they, of course, they go to the rabbis and they say, well, enter the Christmas story. Into the Christmas story in Bethlehem. The king, wow. the house of David. And now we find the house of David's reborn. The wise men come from the east. All of these things come together. And what does Herod do? He does the same thing he did to his own family. He slaughters the children to defend his crown. So this is the thing. Christmas, being Catholic, <laughs> being Christian, all yeah. of this, you got to understand the old. you got to understand yeah. our Jewish roots. As Bishop Barron says, to you can't understand it. Jesus if you don't understand Israel. Yeah. Right. So when you when you delivered this to uh, the Jewish uh, guys up in the prison, <laughs> where like what's their response when you get right about to the Herod Jesus point? <laughs> <laughs> so what I do see one of the do things they, do is they take off their yarmulkes and say, "All right, baptize us." No. I'm just so <laughs> <laughs> one guy is becoming Catholic. He still wears okay. the yarmulke, but he's in RCIA yeah. because of my early. Well, not because of my earlier talks, but he went on the Colby retreat. Oh, go ahead and all take right, all it's the all credit. Because of me. No, just kidding. No. So he. Um, <laughs> so we have these guys, and they're very like into this stuff. I think one of them might have been married to a Catholic at one point. But um, so how I kind of approach this is 
I talk about how, you know, Daniel's prophecy in Daniel chapter 11, 490 years since the laying of the foundation stone of the second temple is when the Messiah would come. Guess when that was? It's the same time when the wise men from the east come into Herod. It's the same time. And you start layering up and building up, just using Old Testament quotes of all of these prophecies that coincide. So where is the son of David to be born? He's born in Bethlehem, a land that means house of bread. House of bread. And here is the bread of life being laid in a manger, which is a food trough mm-hmm. for animals. And according to one tradition, Bethlehem being a suburb-ish of Jerusalem, the shepherds tended the sacrificial sheep. So those lambs had to be raised in a certain way because they had to be unblemished lambs in order to be offered in right. the temple. So Jesus was placed in a cave that was used as a stable that lambs were born in mm. to be used in the sacrificial worship at the temple. Beautiful. Layer upon layer, line upon line. Here a little, there a little, baby. I love it. <laughs> you just made my Hanukkah and my Christmas all at the same time. <laughs> I've only got really one Jewish friend, and I'm calling him after we get done. <laughs> There's a podcast you're going to love. Jacob! <laughs> we got to talk about this. No, uh, I'm going to make him listen, actually. So, um, anyways, this has been awesome. Uh, and I, we could talk about this for... You could talk about this for days. <laughs> I could listen for days. Um, but it, it's, it's incredible when you start diving into the roots of... of yeah. uh, Jewish history and, and the Hebrew history and how it affects us. It, it just makes it makes Christmas have that much more meaning. Yep. Um, and so we have to uh, we have to do that. So Gomer, as always, thank you for educating me. <laughs> I just well, don't know I'd be lost without you. That's why I'm here. Don't tell that to my wife. <laughs> I already tweeted her. <laughs> <laughs> Alright everyone, thank you so much. Have a Merry Christmas and a Happy Hanukkah and uh, a good feast of epiphany and all the great things that we celebrate in lieu of these stories. That's right. Bye. Bye. (laughs) 